0: wheelhouse once again from Jerry's palatial office here inside the Peoria Sports Complex on a a very warm day, Jerry. I think it's officially getting hot, but now I look at the long-term forecast and it's going to be getting cold next week. This doesn't doesn't feel like typical Arizona weather over the course of the spring training.
1: I feel like we've been all over the place. The, The first two weeks of spring training, it was not just chilly, it was just downright cold. I went three weeks into spring training before removing my hoodie. Uh, I, I, I slept with it. I went to dinner with it. I went to Starbucks, oh, high about week three of our time in, in Peoria here. And the fellow at Starbucks who had come to know me as Jerry of the Five Shot Americano in the morning. Only, <laughs> only five shots. Only five shots. Uh, d- did not recognize me when I showed up without the hoodie. He said, where'd the jacket go? I said, uh, it's starting to warm up. But, yeah, I, I, I could do with some warm
0: weather. Absolutely. We've got it at least for the short term. Hey, a lot of good stuff to talk about today. Some position battles obviously heating up. We've seen some good stuff in the rotation with Rob Whalen we want to talk to you about. But first of all, the most pressing news... The Mariners commercials, Jerry. They were released today, just hours ago before recording. Do you have a favorite?
1: I do have a favorite. The hair flip to me is uh, their runaway winner on this one. And they're all good. I think our marketing people do a phenomenal job with the commercials. It's uh, it's unique around the league. I think the rest of the league, the players in the league, even executives and other front offices – are dying to see what our commercials look like. The marriage. True story. Really? Yeah. I think there's a fair bit of attraction to a free agent. I can say, we'll give you multi millions (laughs) and commit to doing a commercial that features you, you. Uh, I, I love the hair flip, the Kyle Seeger, Ben Gamble. It was uh, when I watched it. I happened to be watching it with my wife and both of us just started belly laughing out loud. Immediately, I linked it to my kids to see what they thought. And I, I got back the the very favorable messages. Uh, Kyle has the like, the, there's something about Kyle each of the last couple of years his commercials with the, you know, the blank stares, the 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 dry wit, the the quick humor without a smile, it's it they're they're usually my favorites this one, no question.
0: That is kind of the Kyle Seeger Scouting report as a person, isn't it? I mean that kinda is him, right?
1: It really is, although I will say, if you've had the chance to watch Kyle, uh, particularly in spring training, but usually during the course of a season, he's he's a chatty fellow at third base. Uh, if you watch Kyle, whether it's with the opposing third base coach, the player who just advanced from second to third, who plays for the other team, or the umpire, when no one else is is within earshot, sometimes it's the guy sitting in the front row next to our dugout. Kyle tends to to speak the whole game. he chatters along and and I think it's his way of kind of releasing and loosening up to play one time during my first year here i i we were walking by each other down in the the hallway in the clubhouse area and and I said, Kyle, third base over there is like the Merv Griffin show. <laughs> I mean, he looked at me and he said. Who's, Who's Merrick Griffin? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, Kyle's. A, he's a character. He's a true character of the game. He's, uh, he's quirky. He's a really good player. And right now I think he's in about as good a place with his swing as I've seen him since, since we've been here with the Mariners in spring.
0: You know, Larry Stone wrote a piece on Kyle not long ago. And Kyle kind of was outspoken about last year. And it's funny. It was a down year by Kyle Seeger standards. Most third basemen would love to have a season like Kyle had last year. But he said he never really felt like he ever got in a groove. And then when he left Peoria, he didn't feel like he had his swing. Does, did that surprise you to hear him say that? Or is that kind of what it looked like to you over the course of last year?
1: No, he never really caught his groove. Every year in Kyle's career, he's, he's generally been a slow starter. Uh, we're trying to talk him into not believing he's a slow starter. Uh, but he's typically been a slow starter who catches fire and for a period of time becomes one of the most productive bats in the league. Not just with the Mariners, but in the with the league. And, uh, you know, last year, that hot streak never came. He got, he got hot down in, in September just for a bit. But for the most part, he hit in Texas. You know, right, like he always hits in Texas. And the rest, the wheels never caught traction the, the rest of the season. And, you know, it's it, guys are going to have down years. And if their down years look like Kyle Seeger's 2017, sign me up. That's a, that's a star quality player having less than his best season, but still by the standards of a major league player quite – Quite good,
0: and sneaky good humor, no doubt about it. That's it is. He's a
1: quirk. I I mean, I love the the one with the uh, the like the Run DMC chains (laughs) a couple years ago. That was a good one, right? You know the uh, the the uh, marketing video with the we're gonna.
0: Well, there was the case wag, right? The, the case you... wag that yeah. was a, that was hilarious. It was the case wag.
1: This one may top that just because you're you're watching him trying to flip no hair, and 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 I don't think he could grow a strand if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, I asked him a couple of years ago when he just shaved it off. Like what's going on, Kyle? Like, you, ha- there, like there is hair there, if you so choose to have it. And he basically said something along the lines of, you just, you just got to know your strengths, and this isn't a strength. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Self-scouting there from Kyle Seeger. Well, at the time of this recording, Jerry, we are essentially two weeks away from opening day at Safeco Field. No doubt more injuries than you would have liked to see for the Mariners right now, although some good news, there are some guys that are no doubt on the mend. Can you kind of give us an overview, snapshot, how you see things shaking out right now for the Mariners on the injury front?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been an unfortunate spring for us in that regard. I would say at this point, a majority of the guys we plan on having on our 25 man roster have either reported two spring training injured or have been injured since we've been here. The good thing is none of them are very dramatic. They're all smaller issues. I guess most notably yesterday, Nelson Cruz left the game with a quad injury. We're anticipating that he could miss anywhere from one to two weeks. Uh, uh, which is unfortunate, but still puts us in a position where he should be good for opening day. Robinson Cano is probably going to be in that five to seven day range. We're going to be more conservative there, just making sure, particularly with Nellie and Robbie, at, that they are ready to go when the season starts. They're They're critically important players. Uh, Felix threw a bullpen yesterday and right now is tracking to be ready for the start of the season. And uh, one small slip and we won't be ready by opening day, but we do anticipate that that the first trip through the rotation, one of those turns is going to be Felix. And and we'll have to determine which one of them as we get closer. My guess is he's motivated enough to to answer the bell that we're going to get the, the the foot on the gas version of Felix, but we don't want him to rush, rush and press. Uh, Ryan Healy is now hitting live uh, off of real pitchers rather than off of tees. So we're progressing in that regard. He's probably going to need some uh, some at-bats in backfield games at the minor league level where we, as you may recall, in years past, maybe back to when Edgar was playing, and Edgar was famous even around the league for going back and just taking nine at-bats a day versus minor league pitchers leading off every inning. We'll probably do something like that with Ryan at some point to increase his volume, but not until he's ready to hit. Mitch Hanniger's now back playing on a fairly regular basis. And, and I don't think he's found his timing yet, but he feels good. Health is, is good. We've seen Nick Vincent make his first appearance. David Phelps is now taking his turn on a regular th- th- basis. And that is all progressing in the in the right direction. Uh, Marco Gonzalez hit by a line drive the other day and – uh, I think all the good that Marco did in, in his first handful of starts down here, one screaming liner could have undone the whole thing. Fortunately, it hit the the, the, the hand we needed to hit, which is the right hand. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't seem like he's going to miss a start. And Erasmo Ramirez is, is actually up throwing, has been since Saturday, progressing toward a bullpen. And while I don't think it's an average chance, there's at least a fighter's chance that he might be ready by mid-April when we need to go to the fifth starter.
0: Jerry, very impressive your ability to go through all that, and there are no notes in front of you right now. It's almost as if you've been thinking about all these things.
1: Uh, I think about them frequently. I, did, I actually. I was starting to write there because that all happened in one breath. I was thinking I needed to grab an atomizer and just you know catch up. But uh, there's there's another host of guys that are off the roster, NRIs, or or not necessarily anticipate anticipated to make our 25 man club that are nicked and bruised as well and we're gonna to have to play that by year
0: on the healthy side of the starting pitching conversation my goodness rob whalen in scottsdale against the rockies against a varsity lineup for colorado nine punchouts, five innings looked very sharp what have you made of rob whalen so far
1: well, Rob Whalen. I mean, and I could go. Rob Whalen, Mike Leake, Marco Gonzalez. Our starting pitching has really delivered in the in this spring camp. Now we've we've struggled in other areas, most particularly with health. But nobody's been any better than Rob. And and it's a great story. He went through so much last year, battling depression. At one point, went home, and uh, and we accommodated it and made sure that he had the help that he needed and stayed in tune with him all off season. And when he showed up this spring. He showed up 25 pounds lighter and his his emotional place was so much different than it was at this time, even last year. And and in addition, his command has just been lights out. So he showed up and his mind was free. He's enjoying playing the game. As he told me, I said, "Rob, what happened you know in the off season I, I, it's, And he started sharing his story, and it was at first, it makes you want to cry that people are able to battle this way and kind of champion their own cause, but this guy worked his tail off to put himself in the position he 's in he 's certainly a threat right now to break with the big league club he 's pitched that well, and yesterday of all the good outings was really the most notable, as you said, it was he 's freezing guys on on front hip cutters, and the ball was moving all over. The place and I thought it was the single best breaking ball we've seen any of our pitchers have
0: all spring. Can you tell us about his curveball?
1: Yeah, Rob. Rob actually, from a from a breaking pitch, from a pitch action standpoint, you know, both analytically and from a scouting perspective, when we acquired him from the Braves, that's why we went and got him. He has a very lively fastball. He throws both a sinker and a short little cutter, and he throws a curveball that's more top to bottom. And he's got a little slider that spins off it in a slightly different. Action or, or tilt, and the curveball creates so much depth without really moving up. You'll get two different types of curveballs. One, let's say, more like the what we saw the other night in Good Year with uh, Sal Romano from the the, uh, the Reds, or maybe what Ben Sheets used to look like, where it's just straight down tilt. You know, even a James Paxton where it comes out of the hand and just fires straight down. You know, Robs has a little hump. Where he throws it, and the ball appears to go up first, and then come down. So it's a, it's, it's pretty tough to track. And his breaking ball spins so quickly, and so uh, it really has so many RPMs that that the bite when he finishes it well, you, you give up on it, thinking it's a belly button high pitch, and the next thing you know, it's it's right there in the in the bread basket, which is why he was getting so many backward Ks, like freezing looks at strike three with a curveball that didn't look like it was dynamically located. And then once he got the confidence, he started really dotting it up with, the, with both the fastball and the curveball.
0: A curveball with a hump, is that easier then for the hitter to pick up on?
1: I don't think so. You know, it's a, because Rob throws a sinker that peels, the trick in, in disguising your pitches, so to speak, is what we'll, we'll call it tunneling. You want to tunnel the ball so that everything appears that it's coming out of the same hand position. And if you get a curveball and you're releasing it at the same place as a sinker, and let's say for fifty five of the sixty feet six inches the fifty five feet of that travel time, it's going to be on the same general plane, but the curveball has the aesthetic of looking physically. I know it's impossible for it to in in flight. Pop up and then come back down. Aesthetically or visually, it looks that way. And you know, it's we'll call it an up and down curveball. Rob has a real ability to spin that ball and make it look flat, pop up, and then spin down. That's not an easy thing to do. And you know, I don't. Frankly, I don't think it's easier to track. And what the hitters are telling us right now is it's really not that easy to track.
0: It's been one of the great stories so far. Spring training. It's been an absolute pleasure to watch him. And what we saw the other day was uh, further evidence of that. Let's talk about first base for the Mariners right now. You gave us the update on Ryan Healy, which was very good news. But right now, Daniel Vogelback, Mike Ford, both have had very impressive runs in them so far this spring. Uh, Volgoback, in some ways, looks maybe not like an entirely different player, but the calmness and the confidence in which he's playing in the spring has been really noteworthy. And of course, this is our first look in Mike Ford. What have you made of the both of them?
1: You know first i'm happy for mike ford he had, he had a couple of rough weeks to start out, and you could see him pressing new organization, first big league camp facing a lefty every yeah, day every day and <laughs> and that really hasn't changed a whole lot. thankfully he's seen a couple of righties and and he's been able to light him up a bit, but you know Mike got out and he got some reps against the right hand pitchers over this last week, and we're finally starting to see some life in his bat. He's played a pretty good first base after also starting out a little roughly as a defender in the early going. But uh, it's we're seeing him get comfortable feeling like he belongs here. And we've still got a couple of weeks down in Peoria and to make a decision as to whether we keep Mike. And, you know, there's nuances. He has to stay with us in the big leagues. Otherwise, we have to return him to the Yankees or try to put together a trade, one or the other. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach is making his case for, you know, whether Ryan Healy is ready or not. To be on our 25-man club and whether that is whether that is sharing time at first base with ryan healy while ryan's hand improves whether it's a bat on the bench or you know in this case it might be helping nelly out while nelly recovers from his quad but Vogey deserves to be on this club. He has raked from day one. He has controlled the strike zone really better than anybody in the, the Cactus League. And what he's doing with the bat is reminiscent of what he's kind of always done in the minor leagues. And we've never had the opportunity to see in the big leagues. And I say never. It's been 50-some-odd plate appearances in the big leagues. And I think we, we live in such a we-want-it-now society it's sometimes hard to remember that Daniel Vogelbach's 25 years old, and he's had 50 plate appearances in the big leagues, and he does have the ability not just to hit and hit for power, but he's got dynamic on-base ability to the tune of something close to a 400 on base as a minor leaguer. And, you know, they don't grow on trees. we, we were fortunate enough to have two of them, and Vogie and, and Mike Ford, to choose from. And right now, Vogie's making it really simple to like what he's doing. He's been good, and he's been good every day.
0: And when you think about that very small sample size of plate appearances for Vogelback at least two of those came in the ninth inning with the Mariners trailing in Houston against Ken Giles when he's been on the bench all day long. So those aren't always the most easy situations that he's been put in. Of course, that's just kind of the way of a life of a young major leaguer, though.
1: That's true. And, and and you know, we've all been there. That the, When you get into the league, you have to take your opportunity and run with it. And unfortunately, Vogie really hasn't had an opportunity. It's a his his opportunity, like you said, has been 50-ish plate appearances, smattered. Very, I can't remember a, a scenario where I can recall Vogie starting three games in a row in the big leagues. Uh, even in September of 2016, when we first called him up, and we didn't have a first baseman. That uh, Adam Lind was banged up. If you recall, we had to find ways to to kind of peel him in there. And he just hasn't had a great opportunity, but he's he's putting himself in a position. He's forcing opportunity right now.
0: He told us that over the course of the winter, he took on a mindset, a different mindset. He still wanted to be a guy who can get on base at a study clip like as you referenced, he has in the minors, but he wanted to be, and wants to be more aggressive. He wants to drive the ball, especially to the pull side, it sounds like. And he wants to drive in runs. Is this something that he came on, on his own or is this a conversation the Mariners had with him?
1: You know, I think the only thing that we spoke to Vogie about was not being passive and being more aggressive early in the count. And when you get that hittable pitch, drive it. And, you know, in the big leagues, we had seen him th- a lot of just taking middle, middle pitches. And, and we're at the minor league levels. You can sit there and take middle, middle. And sooner or later, they're going to make a mistake. They're going to elevate a ball and you're going to drive it, which is where Vogie's made his money in the minors. At the at the big league level, once they get ahead of you, you don't really see a whole lot of mistakes. That it's really hard to hit in the big leagues when it's o one o two one two. So you know, it's when Vogie gets in those two o two one counts, you've really got to do some damage. And 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 the, you know, big guys, that's what they do in those counts. They they do damage. And he came out this year aggressive in those counts. He's taking I mean, pull pull passes. You know, trying to lift and elevate the ball. He went home. He did work on his swing. That was not something that we asked him to do. It's something that he determined he would do. Uh, and, and I think he knows what his skill set has to be for him to be an, an everyday player in the big leagues. And, and right now, it sure looks like the, the the bat is ready to do that.
0: As we talk about you or Scott or someone from the management side talking to Daniel back there was a really interesting article written by Peter Gammons for The Athletic that came out earlier in the week. And it, basically, the gist of it, Jerry, is that Today, compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the amount of communication that is required by major league managers and executives is tenfold what it was a decade ago. And Gammon's went even further to say that if you were a player in the major leagues, let's call it in the late 90s, you may go the entire season and maybe never even talk with your general manager. And today, general managers are circulating throughout the clubhouses and running into these guys on a much more regular basis having much more regular conversations, and looping players, for the most part, into the daily conversation so that everyone is on the same page. Communication seems to be such a strength of yours. You're doing a podcast, for goodness sake. And Scott, as well, what do you make of that summary of Gammon's article and kind of how the game has evolved and also how the Mariners view that?
1: I think it's completely accurate. And, you know, we live in the generation, we, we encourage our players, from the minor leagues, the day they sign, to the big leagues. You know, this is the why generation. Ask why. And, you know, if if we suggest something, if we coach something, if if when we sign you, we promise something and those are the things that that are or are not being delivered, ask why. If if you disagree with some type of technique that we're trying to pass along, ask why. Why do we want you to do it this way? And we if we don't have a good answer as to why, then don't do it. And, you know, and, and I know Scott passes that along to our players daily. Uh, I had Ryan Healy say to me who just came over. You know what one, one of my favorite people in the game is Billy Bean. I've learned a lot from Billy and and Billy's is, is is one of the funniest baseball people you'll ever be around. And Ryan, I was I was having, you know, a meal with Ryan just sitting down. And one of the first things he said to me was, you know, you're a lot more active with the players than than they were in Oakland. And I, I don't know why that is. I don't know how to be anybody but myself. But at the you know, at the end of the day, I feel comfortable sitting down there with the players. I feel comfortable talking to them. But I also one thing I don't do is I don't spend virtually any time in the clubhouse proper. I think that's their space. So, you know, having a meal with them in the dining room, sitting out on the field and chatting them up in the dugout during batting practice, leaning on the, the turtle and, and chatting to them while they're, while they're you know, taking BP, all great. I think when they are in the clubhouse, that's their space. And, you know, it's for them and the staff, the manager. So I try to draw that line, and, and it's a lesson that I think I've, I've learned through the years that they need to have that protection – you know, I think Scott does a phenomenal job. I, mean, I think it's his greatest trait as a manager is his ability to communicate. And I, I've said it before on these airwaves is that you know having kids, my kids are between the ages of 21 and 25. Scott's kids are roughly the same ages. You learn how to communicate with with this generation of of people, of player, and and we make it a must in our organization. From Andy McKay to our field coordinator, Mike McCucci, Carson Vitale, Scott, our major league staff, you have to be able to explain to the players why. And and I think that's critical.
0: Since you bring up Moneyball, or you bring up the A's and Billy Bean and Moneyball, have you ever heard Rick's story about Moneyball? Riz? Yeah, Riz. No, no. So, during the movie, they have the montage of all the wins in a row, right? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And they're taking calls, the final out call from all these different games, radio and TV, and they make a montage out of it. And Rick's call made one of them because the A's beat the Mariners for, let's call it, win number 17. So, you hear Riz saying, the A's have just won 17 in a row. And the winter that Moneyball came out, Rick was getting a cup of coffee someplace And and there was a Mariners fan standing right next to him. And the fan had just seen Moneyball. And he said, Rick, I loved you in Moneyball. (laughs) And he asked Rick, what was it like working with Brad Pitt? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> a star is born.
0: And Rick kind of looked at him and thought he was joking, realized he was serious, and Riz said, he was a real scene stealer, and then walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a fantastic Rick response.
1: <laughs> you know, we had it, that year, the year Moneyball came out, we were at the uh, the general manager's meetings. And you know, it, generally, the, the general manager's meetings, when we get together for the, the, the group meeting, there are two people in the room. There's a general manager and an assistant general manager or two representatives of each club. And that year, uh, Billy, Billy came to the to the GM meetings a little bit late. And, you know, his chair was kind of oddly empty for uh, about the first half day. And And uh, he, he came walking in halfway through the meeting the second day and got a, a small little golf clap and <laughs> was not referenced as, as Billy Bean, but was referenced as Brad Pitt. And he said, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's not too bad, is it? Well, it was a a fascinating article, and I couldn't help but think about the Mariners and you and Scott because this seems to be such a priority for you guys. And do you remember when you were playing, how often you maybe would have talked to, especially when you were low on the totem pole, how often you would have talked to the general manager of your respective team? Was this a rarity? Uh,
1: An extreme rarity. As a matter of fact, I know my early years with the Indians, with first six years playing, almost no contact with the general manager until, I would say, midway through my rookie season in the big leagues when I had even more than a hello conversation with the GM. Uh, and then it picked up periodically. And, and I learned a lot from watching the way they behaved. I got to know John Hart, who was the general manager when I was in Cleveland, a lot better after I left the Indians and after I left the playing field than I ever did when I was playing for the Indians. And then I went to the Mets and my general manager was uh, uh, Joe McIlvain. And I probably saw Joe a little more frequently than uh, than John, but not significantly. Usually, you saw the the general manager when you were in trouble or you were part of a transaction. So I was happy not to see him very much. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then when I was in Colorado, I, I had uh, my general manager was Bob Gebhardt, who was probably more interactive with the players than than the other general managers that I was with. And he was, uh, he was actually one of my favorite people in baseball. For, for many years, I learned a lot from Geb. He didn't mind telling you when he thought you were crazy, when he thought you did something stupid. And it'd pat you on the back when you did something well. And, and you know, it's probably not lost on me that, that Bob also played in the big leagues. He's got, you know, a, a, some time with the Minnesota Twins in the early 70s. And, and he made his way through a similar path that I have. And, and I tried to take that part of him, which is, you know, don't, don't not let the players see you. Just don't, don't suffocate them.
0: So what you're trying to say is that I've spoken to the general manager more through 14 episodes of The Wheelhouse than maybe a second-year player in 2003 did an entire season.
1: I would say more in just this episode.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's right. Fair to say. Hey, it's tough to kind of draw too much, as we've talked about, out of certain spring training performances. But one thing that really stands out as a highlight, personally, so far through this call, the first, roughly, first half of spring training, is... Ichiro at first base, Segura triple into the corner, Ichiro flying home like he's 24 years old and scoring with complete ease. What did you make of Ichiro, 44 years young, burning and cutting the bases, going all the way, scoring first to home?
1: My, my first thought was, he could beat me in a race. <laughs> uh, my second thought was, first, I was pumped to see Gene Segura hit a triple. Sure, right, right, right. right. And then once I realized that Ichiro was, was cutting it up and, and eating up as much ground as he was – Really, I started watching all of his actions after that, and and if you watch Ichiro, even you know the, the other day grounds out to second base he he runs down hard to first base every time and when he's running back to the dugout he, he picks up speed as he goes until he gets back to the white line and and my it's he is disciplined just to do the right thing to run wherever you go it's a he's it's he's conditioned himself that his jog looks like other people's kind of medium sprint for me I'm sweating rockets just trying to keep up with him when he's jogging. But he's uh he's an incredible athlete. I love the, the the intensity that he brings. And already one thing that's been easy to pick out with Ichiro is the baseball IQ. He takes part in the morning meetings downstairs with the with the group and uh, and though he oftentimes speaks through a translator, Alan, uh Ichiro has shared a lot of nuggets that we just didn't have the day before he got here. And little, small little things, nuances that a player may or may not be able to pick up intuitively in a game, Ichiro just sees it or he naturally knows it. And he's been able to give advice to a lot of our younger players. And when I say younger players, I mean guys that are in their late 20s, who've been in the league for five or six years that might not have that that natural baseball IQ or instinct that he does. And it's been incredibly helpful in the early going.
0: And these are dividends that you expected from each role, but maybe now you're seeing it firsthand, but but this was part, this was part of the package, right? This, this veteran experience.
1: Exactly right. And I guess the thing I'm happiest about is that he's willing to share it because even guys that have those experiences who've learned those lessons or might have that, that level of IQ don't naturally want to make their teammates feel like they're, it's, they're, they're having it shoved on them and uh, his his delivery's been great his timing's been great and i think he's been so well received by his teammates and and that much is not a shock but this was expected it's just happening in real time
0: and that's fun that's neat to see let's get to some fan questions jerry and uh, remember you can always email the show simply by going to or emailing rather the wheelhouse at mariners.com uh, this first question that we have jerry is from Ryan in Auburn and he loves the podcast. And with the season coming up, he's wondering what a general manager's schedule and life is like during the baseball season. Do you travel with the team? Do you attend all the home games? Obviously, it's a crazy schedule during the course of the baseball season. How do you balance, Jerry, baseball and family and fun? I don't know, being a normal person as well. There's a lot there, but how do you go about balancing your normal life during the course?
1: Uh, for, first, I think it's I, I understand or I've acknowledged that I'm just not normal. But uh, no, the, the the life I have, I have think I have a pretty good home life balance. Uh, fortunately, we are in a situation. My wife and I were empty nesters, so to speak. My kids come and visit. They come to the games. My wife loves to come to the games. Uh, I do every home game. We have an office life that begins in season. Typically, we'll arrive somewhere in the nine o'clock hour. And uh, and typically we'll go home about 11 p.m. So, you know, we're we're working a pretty long work day, Uh, a a non game day, a little bit uh, more nine to five ish. But, you know, we we work our normal office hours. We enjoy the game. We'll sit there and watch. But more as a fan when I'm watching our club play until somebody gets hurt. And that's when the DEFCON button starts going off and 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 the light starts turning red. But uh, watch the game almost as a fan. I probably, when I say as a fan, I see it through a different lens than maybe most fans do. And uh, I'll there are times where I'll be intense, times where I'll laugh, times where I'll joke about an error we made, times where I want to flip my top. But uh, I'll travel with the club about a third of the time. So... You know, when we go on road trips, I will choose them. I will, I will choose them the, properly. There I've never cities. seen you in Tampa, Jerry. You know. uh, I was in Tampa in 2016. Not, okay, not my. Uh, I, which was of uh, this will be my seventh year as a general manager. I've been to Tampa in 2016. <laughs> okay. um, and you know, for the most part, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the the spots where it's where it's easiest to see a game where you know where we're not on a, a four city trek because effectively if I'm on the four city trek with the team and then go back into a two-week homestand with the the nine to elevens you just you don't have a life I will try to get out and see our affiliates so you know get get out and see each of the affiliates to the extent that you can last year was not a good year for me in that regard because we had so many injuries to battle I didn't really get out much but try to see the, the the players the prospects visit with the stabs And then maybe the most unique time and one of my most enjoyable times of the year is the draft. You know, when we're going through the June draft, effectively, we just we sequester ourselves to a room, the John Ellis Pavilion at Safeco Field. And for the better part of a month, we're just locked in the room talking about who we're going to take and breaking down players. I find that to be the most valuable time of the year for us organizationally. And we learn about each other. So, you know, it is uh, by the time you get to July and the trade deadline and you get through that, it's uh, you feel like just taking a a breath. And there's never really a time in, in a baseball seasonal schedule where there's a moment down other than when you're watching the game. And which is why it's so crushing when a player gets hurt, because now you have in addition to the anxiety you feel when one of your players goes down and you're worried about his well-being. That it just created these fifteen things that have to happen in the next three hours to make sure there's a player out there the next day.
0: In your time with the Mariners, have you ever not watched the Mariners game that day? I mean, has there been a Mariners game played and you haven't seen it?
1: Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. That there have been. Happen, yeah, it happens, but only when I'm out watching a minor
0: league team. Oh, of course, okay. Yeah. Or like Somebody in your family is getting married, maybe, something like that. Correct.
1: But even on those th- occasions, <laughs> that's why they made MLB app. I was going to say, there's, a, there's an app for that, right? <laughs> yes. and So, you know, my my daughter was married uh, last August. We were playing in Kansas City, and we actually made a trade on her wedding day, which I think we've talked about. <laughs> uh, I did not take part in making that trade. Jeff Kingston pulled the, okay. the, the plug on that one, but uh, it was the day we acquired Yonder Alonzo. And you know going into going into her wedding day i'm I'm sitting there tracking everything on the phone, and I will say I was disciplined. I did not put the the phone in my suit pocket. I turned the phone off and put it in the drawer uh in the uh you know the 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 little like farmhouse. The remar- okay yeah, so that I would not pick up the phone and you know not shockingly once we got to the to the after party, I immediately flipped on the phone and thought huh." Oh,
0: Not bad. So you basically give Kingston the keys to the car when you're at the wedding and it's this puppy's yours. Take care of it. That's it. Yeah.
1: You go get him. If there's anything crazy comes up, please call. But otherwise, you know, use your best judgment.
0: (laughs) When you aren't at the game, whether that be at home or on the road. So let's say the Mariners are in Arlington and you're at home. Do you gain anything from the better watching the game on television, certain camera angles, whatever it might be, or is it tougher to learn about your ball club, watching the game on TV versus from your box at Safeco Field?
1: No, I think it's, it's equal
0: parts, both,
1: you know, and, and even to the point where now we've, we've garnered uh, so much scouting information out of watching games on video or actions on video where you can slow it down. You get a better read on pure pitch action because of the view of the camera. It's, it's easier to see how a pitch acts from sitting behind the pitcher than sitting in front of the pitcher. Uh, But unfortunately it's, it's easier to see the reactions of a hitter when you're sitting behind him than, than what we maybe can see from the, from the, from a scouting perspective from the TV. So combining the two is a really valuable tool. I I will say that oftentimes when I watch a a live outing of a pitcher and it's either, it's either on one spectrum or the other, it's, it's terrible or it's awesome I'll oftentimes go back and watch the pitch action and location because sometimes I I played with a guy one year in Colorado who had a phenomenal year. and, And the next year he came, I mean, as good a year as you can have as a major league reliever. And came out the following year, and and it did not go so well for the first month or month and a half. And he came down to the bullpen and he sat down and he said, "What am I doing wrong?" And I said, "You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing the same things you did before. It's it's all about the location. Last year you made the, you made the same location pitches. They hit them. You know, you just worked in the middle of the plate and they missed them. You know, and and he didn't believe me. He said, "Ah, you're crazy." Those aren't the exact words he used, but you know, this is a family podcast. <laughs> Uh, and he went and looked at video and he said, no, 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 I, I do. I buy it. And, you know, it's a, here the best chance that we will see, you know, appropriate location, you know, catcher framing, uh, I guess, execution. It's easier to see it on a monitor, on a TV. And, you know, therefore, I'll often go back and double down and watch games that I've already seen just to see what those actions look like.
0: Tim in Yakima has a question. He First of all, he really enjoyed the conversation last week about Ichiro and then our other conversation about launch angle. And he would like us to combine those two conversations. Ichiro launch angle, something that probably is not talked about a whole lot. But, you know, there are stories, Jerry, of Ichiro's first tour with the Mariners and him just putting on a show in batting practice, peppering the Hit Here Cafe glass. I mean, this is a guy who has had the ability to launch the baseball, but when you think about launch angle and Ichiro uh, and you match those two things together, what kind of comes to mind?
1: Uh, You know, what comes to mind is maybe the hitter that, or hitters, but maybe hitter, that reminds me most of, of Ichiro through my baseball life was Rod Carew. And Rod Crew had awesome bat-to-ball skills, as did Ichiro. The ability to control the strike zone, spray it around to all fields, impact the game with your speed. You know, and I heard for years, as a kid growing up, that Rod Crew had more power during batting practice than any other player on the field. And and Rod Crew played with some boppers through the years. And I always found that hard to believe. And then one one year he decided, all right, I'm gonna hit homers. And and he and he hit homers. Same thing in the '80s with Wade Boggs. You know, ah, if I want to hit homers, I'll hit homers. And then lo and behold, one year Wade Boggs decides I'm gonna hit homers, and he hits 24 home runs. I always heard the same thing about Ichiro. And the first time I ever got a chance to see Ichiro take batting practice was at the 2007 All-Star Game in San Francisco, and he's launching balls out into the bay. and And I thought, wow, is it that easy? That why doesn't he hit the, the the bombs during the game? You know, he can drive a Cadillac, according to Ralph Kiner. But you know, the the, the idea is that I think Ichiro gives up so much in his hit ability, his ability to, to navigate the ball. He has more bat control and ability to use a field that if he changes his angle, he becomes much more of a one-way hitter. I don't think you could play a, a shift defense on Ichiro, particularly in his prime. I don't know how you could do that. Whereas to add that launch angle, I think you start hitting in more of a half a field or even in some cases, a third of a field. And I don't know that you get the 3,080 hits. I don't know that you get batting championships. And I'm certain that you don't get, you know, a gazillion consecutive two hundred hit seasons. So he he gave up something to get something, and I don't think the Mariners have been disappointed.
0: I have to laugh about the idea of you watching him launch balls into the bay before that All Star game because, of course, he hit a home run in that All Star game. It just never left the ballpark. Yeah, and the Parker. <laughs> yep. yep,
1: and it's I joked around with him actually when he got here. It's one of the first things I cited because uh, we were my family and I were at that All Star game, and uh, I was there. I watched the you know the the uh the prospect game prior to right. on sunday we watched the the home run derby and we were picking our our home run derby contestants which is something my family and i did for years you know and, and my son will pick his and i get mine and my wife picks hers The daughters each get one and uh the next day we're watching batting practice for the game after the home run derby and we're watching batting practice for the game and my son uh, it, it turns and looks at me and goes dad Ichiro's got more power than anybody that was sitting in that home run. You know, and it was Matt Holliday and Blatty Guerrero and them I mean, real guys. And and Ichiro had the power of every one of them.
0: So the legend says, and you've seen it firsthand. That is true. Well, uh, Jerry, this has been fun as always. And a reminder that baseball is back at Safeco Field March 29th. Open night against the Indians. It'll be a fantastic weekend, of course. Robinson Canoe bobblehead day on Saturday, March 31st. Kids opening day. On Sunday, April 1st. So a lot ahead, but still plenty of time here in Arizona. Jerry, I'm sure we'll be chatting again. Thanks so much for the time. You
1: got it,